Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs of Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Eli Kim and Chris Francis. This is not a 67% Chris podcast. It is a uh, 57% or I'm sorry, 50% Korean podcast. So we've got <laughs> that's we're, right. <laughs> we're repping the peninsula. So um we're 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 pretty excited to have Eli Kim back in the booth after it, it's been a it's been a minute. Like it, it's, it's it been maybe like six weeks, I think. Yeah, it's it's been busy. As soon as you know the season starts, we actually have to watch the games instead of speculating everything. So, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, right. Good point. <laughs> and it's definitely been a different season so far than what we expected. I think a hundred percent of us, you know, I for me, I don't think anybody thought that the Cavs. That Evan A. Evan Mobley would be as good as he's been so far. B. The Cavs would be competing night in and night out, uh, even against the best teams in the NBA. They're still putting up competitive games. Um, but what's really killed them in the midst of a four-game losing streak is just the injuries and not having the rotation players to get through the fourth quarters, and they seem to be dying on the vine in the fourth quarters. Um a, a, any rebuttal there from either of you guys on kind of what what ails the Cavs uh, in the last four games? Um, I'll I'll start off. Uh, no, not at all. I mean, you kind of captured 
basically uh, the first almost 20 games or have they played nearly 20 games? They are nine and nine. Wow. So 18 get Yeah. So uh, nearly 25% of the season, you know, has transpired. So, uh, and I think you captured it pretty well. Uh, you know, it, I, the loss of Colin Sexton, I think is looming huge uh, for the offense um, in the sense that, um, he was a guy that uh, was near the top on the team in unassisted baskets. So he was a guy that could create his own shot. And uh, it seems like, well, now, now, frankly, we're down to two guys that can create their own shot, which are um, Darius Garland and uh, Ricky Rubio during this losing streak. Uh, those are the only two guys who could really get their shot off. And, uh, you know, I think um, just there's so many bodies out. I mean, how many rotation players were they missing and starters at one point? It was just like four out of five guys who started were out. And there was also two bench players out that were playing in the rotation. So it was just uh, kind of insane. The uh, the injury uh, luck that they've had in the early going here that's kind of contributed to the rough patch. And, and honestly, I will say they played admirably. I mean, they played hard every night, even in these mm-hmm. games where they're just absolutely decimated by injuries. Like you were saying, they're missing, you know, four to six rotation guys. They're still competing. They're still playing hard. Um, they're having a hard time scoring points, and the offensive continuity is not where it needs to be. I mean, I think one game that – who did they start at center? Um Ed Davis. Ed Davis. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, but they, didn't they start Dean Wade at center one game? Uh, no, he. I think he started a power forward at, okay. uh, when yeah, they finally lost everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Ed Davis has played and actually played well, honestly, um, given, you know, my expectations for him. <laughs> I, I think one thing I've loved about him is the way he sets screens has been – really a breath of fresh air. He's probably the best off-ball screen setter. Well, he's definitely the best screen setter on the team. Um, And he's set up guys to get open shots from three with his off-ball screening. That's been really nice to see. But obviously not a guy that he's definitely going to break down if you play him a lot of minutes. I mean, he's a guy you can come in and spot and... Maybe get Yeah, you could tell he was already worn out after that really good game. (laughs) (laughs) He was already worn out, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean that's been super fun to watch and and they've been entertaining every single game. Um Eli, anything to add on, you know, just what the first eighteen games have looked like and then, you know, especially this last four? Yeah, I mean, obviously losing four in a row is never good, but um you know, these teams were very good, and the Cavs were definitely very undermanned. I also saw this interesting stat today on Twitter. I did not verify independently, so forgive me if it's incorrect. But I think the Cavs have played, uh, of all 18 games, only two games have been uh, come against opponents with losing records so far this season. Well, that, so That certainly schedule. seems legitimate. <laughs> the schedule's been Exactly, it than... feels correct. <laughs> and surprisingly, I think one of those teams is the Hawks who is like one game under 500 um, because they've lately been winning, but they're still, they had a rough start to the year. So definitely been a tough way to start the year, but um, maybe I'm 
such a pessimist. It's not good for me. But the Cavs, let's not forget, did start the season last year at eight and nine at a similar point before the rails came off. Um, although this year, definitely, you know, admittingly watching, seeing the effort level, seeing the different pieces work together better. Um, it definitely feels different than last year's start. So I'm encouraged, cautiously optimistic, and would definitely be glad to be wrong on my – I did pick the over. I went back to make sure I was correct on this. I picked the over on 26 and a half wins. I think I said they were going to win 27 games. I think I'm going to gladly be wrong on that this year. So that's my kind of take on the They're first They're going to win games. a lot more than 27 is what you're saying. I sincerely hope so. <laughs> a significant amount more than 27. <laughs> Last I checked, I think the pace was 42 right now. So, yeah. Well, it, actually, it would be 41 since there's oh, 82 oh, games. Oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if my math checks out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely been an interesting season. A lot of fun. I will say... Uh, I've got a question for you guys, and it's a little bit of a bomb drop. And I thought this when it happened, and it was just gnawing at the back of my head when he went out. Um, and I can't remember what game Colin Sexton got hurt in, but have we seen the last of Colin Sexton in a Cavs Knicks, uniform? I believe. So, again, you know, Eli, have we seen the last of Colin Sexton in a Cavs uniform? Since, in case you didn't know, he's out for the season with a meniscus tear in his knee. I did know he was out only because of the Kobe Altman letter. Um, well, I, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> oh, God, telling I'm you. I'm just kidding. I was God. telling our listeners, but yeah, feel free to expound <laughs> on that as well. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I want to say it's not the last game, but if I were running the team... It would be. Um, but ooh, ooh, flame. I can feel the flame <laughs> coming through my headphones with the fiery hot takes of but Eli Kim. It's just tough because, I look, I don't think Colin Sexton is a bad player. I just think that on the Cavs, it's just not a fit. And the direction the Cavs are going now further cement that it's not a fit, especially with this big ball lineup that they're playing. Um, so... In my opinion, I don't think they sh- it sh- I think it should be um, his last game, hoping that they could trade him for some other assets that maybe better fits. But I do think realistically, if Kobe Altman's still the GM, he's not going to want pie in his face for his you know his first big piece since after LeBron to be gone. So I think he's going to come back. But if I were running the team. This, unfortunately, would be Colin's last. That would have been Colin's last game for me. Chris? Well, I mean, it's funny. We're on the same wavelength, and that's a great question because this is what I was going to say about the situation, which was uh, I think that uh, Kobe and the front office have had conversations with Colin Sexton post-injury and my feeling is is that he is going to be back. He will be re-signed. And I think he'll be re-signed to a um, team-friendly deal. Um, but uh, something in the neighborhood of something like, 
I don't know, like 350 or 360, something like that. Um, and I think the reason why I'm speculating that this talk has already happened or that there's something possibly in the offing is um, because they shut them down for the year. It was the injury. I guess there was multiple avenues uh, toward there was multiple avenues for him to recover or to see the court. And they chose the one that would benefit him. It seems like most long term, but uh, it would take it. It would take him out for a year. Um, it's the same injury that took uh, Darius Garland out uh, for his freshman year uh, at Vanderbilt. So um, I'm. I thought I, it was a foot injury for Garland at Vanderbilt. No, no, it was a meniscus for him too. Was it really? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, and he chose to have surgery on it, and it, it totally, you know. And if you recall, like Darius Garland's first season back from that injury wasn't exactly, uh, you know, uh, he definitely looked slow out there. You know, he looks different than he did. You know, his. Uh, I mean, granted, he was a rookie too, so. But uh, I I don't think it's the last time we've seen Colin Sexton in a Cavs jersey. I think there's going to be an extension. And that's why I was curious to hear from you two is do you think there's been conversations that have had took place this year? And do you think an extension is going to happen? Um, so I, I'll go first. Um, I will say, you know, just before I answer the question, I am glad that he opted to get the surgery and – take the long-term rehab path. Uh, I think these guys that, you know, snip the meniscus or kind of try to play through it are, especially when they're young, not making the best long-term decisions for their careers. And I say this as a guy who's had two knee surgeries, uh, one of them being in a meniscus tear. And oh, gosh. <laughs> um, and so he definitely loved to see that he took the long-term approach to his career. Nobody wants to see another Brandon Roy um, who, you know, blazed brightly his first few years in the league and then um, – played through knee injuries in the playoffs that he should not have and definitely uh, hurt his career long-term. So I, I'm i glad to see he took that path. Um, I, I do think there probably have been conversations. If, you know, I think there was probably a part of him that wanted to come back this year uh, on a make-good contract or a make-good uh, season to try and up his value in the offseason. And I think the Cavs probably told him, you know, we are still interested in signing you in a long-term contract. You know, some some things probably happened there. And it, that probably gave him some peace of mind to sit out the rest of the season. But I also think his agent probably said, hey, you've got five, six, seven years left on your career. Don't do something dumb just to come back for the season. So hopefully he, right. well, it sounds like he heeded that advice. So, but I do think, you know, if I were to put odds on it, I'm going to say that if I were a betting man, I would bet the cat, uh, Colin Sexton's played his last game in a Cavs uniform. Whoa. <laughs> so are you serious? I, I just, it's a gut feeling the second he went down. I had that feeling in my head because I didn't like the way he was coming off the court and I didn't like the way, you know, he just was gimping around. And as a guy who's had those knee injuries, I just feel like 
you know, I kind of knew that he might, there was a shot he was going to be out for the year. It felt serious to me. And I just, my immediate gut reaction was we might've just seen, so I'm trusting my gut. I'm trusting my, my premonition there. I got nothing else other than that. Wow. That that was my gut reaction. That was my knee jerk. Man, this is crazy. Two to one. I mean, like, yeah. Do do you think that's the, I mean, like panning out, do you think that's a a majority view is? uh, No, I think most people would think that he would be back. And, you know, given the nature of restricted free agency at the very least, you know, he'll probably be back on the qualifying offer, but I could absolutely see uh, Lori Markinen situation that happening for him or where they do something, you know, to get a guy off another team for, for Colin Sexton, you know, and, and maybe, you know, cause who knows what's going to happen with all these teams if they blow some of them up. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but that was just my knee jerk. And, uh, with that, we will be right back. Welcome back to Cavs, the podcast. I'm Nate here with Eli and Chris. And, you know, Eli, I just I just dropped an opinion bomb. So um, I'll give you a chance to respond. Uh, what do you think the offseason looks like for Colin Sexton? Yeah, I think it's tough because there's not a lot of teams with cap space. And then to compound that, there's not a lot of teams that need uh, in the NBA that need a 6-1 scoring guard, you know. So... I just think the free agency stuff, like, like Laurie Markinen's a good point. I don't think there's going to be a lot of suitors for him chomping at the bit to give him anything more than the mid-level exception um, for a player like Colin. And if he were to get the mid-level exception, I'm pretty sure that the Cavs would definitely match that. So um, it, it'll be interesting, but I Maybe just don't like see a, enough suitors. like a Josh Hart situation? Yeah, I mean, I can see that where, you know, Josh Hart got a big number deal, but in actuality, only the first year is really guaranteed at that inflated number above the mid-level. So that's definitely a good compromise um, for a deal. I think that the other, I think the only team that maybe makes sense with a Sexton deal long-term is actually, ironically, the Thunder. Um, they could pair him with Shea Gilgus Alexander and Josh Giddy and somehow figure that out between the three of those guys. Uh, you could probably start all three due to Giddy and Shea being pretty big. So that's the one team that I would be kind of curious about. Um, but other than that, I'm just not sure there's going to be a lot of suitors for, for Sexton. Um, that being said, another key factor I think that is, hasn't been mentioned yet is, you know, maybe the Cavs org told Colin, Hey, you know, take your time because they also want to see what Okoro could do with all this extra playing time and, uh, see what his long-term fit is with Mobley, Allen, Garland and Markinen. So I think it accelerates probably where you want Okoro to play so much in the development, given his jump shot, has not been uh, improved this season so far, albeit it's a really small sample size because he's missed a lot of time as well. So, um, you know, I just think the Cavs org is doing the right thing. They they know that this year they're kind of playing with house money, so why not give Okoro a chance to develop as well while, you know, not having to risk pissing off sex, not playing sex a lot. So I think uh, it's the right move to make 
let Sexton take the year and recover. Although, candidly, I'll be honest, my brother has gone through a torn meniscus, but he was a senior in high school and he played through it because he wanted to play his last year of football. I know guys in the NBA are obviously much more financially inclined to not do so. So I'm sure that guy like Sexton, who is a hard worker and super dedicated, he would have played through it if, you know, those other con- contractual factors probably weren't as looming as they are for him. Yeah. And let's be honest, nobody expects the Cavs to compete for a deep playoff run. I mean, I think the goal is to just, you know, I think the goal stated pre season was let's make the play in game. You know, and no compete, just compete for a playing game. Yeah, and it's like, well, if you're doing that, I mean, what are what are we talking about here? Come on, that's not worth <laughs> risking your career. For. Well, I mean, I think I think he would, uh, I think Kobe would uh, want to be specific that way just to save his own butt. But <laughs> yeah, does anybody want to? Uh, does anybody here do a good Kobe Altman impersonation? Oh. I I can't even remember what he sounds like because it's been so we long never hear exactly. Thank you, conference. Nate. The truer words never spoken. Exactly. <laughs> but um, I mean, know, what's he, up with that letter? Like, yeah, so what, what I'm, was I'm gonna, just a quick little aside here. But what the well, hell was I'm, up? I'm with gonna that? give a dramatic reading of the letter here in a minute. So, but you know, uh, okay, my bad, my bad. No, d- d- no need to apologize. I I think you've inspired me. So hold on one second. You, so, I, I love the title, which is just ridiculously pretentious, from the desk of Kobe Altman. <laughs> a big giant capital A, as we approach the holiday season, we have a lot to look forward to as an organization. Our recent, sorry, our recent stretch of games has not changed my excitement nor my belief in the emerging talent of this team. We have shown toughness in the face of adversity, and Coach Bickerstaff has our team playing inspired basketball. Our players are not interested in moral victories or making excuses. They have demonstrated a willingness to accept the challenges in front of them and thrived in the face of competition. Inside our locker room, there's a strong confidence in our potential, and I'm looking forward to seeing what this team is capable of achieving both in the short and long term. And to Colin, who underwent successful surgery last week, we miss you, all caps. Colin represents everything it means to be a Cavalier and no injury will slow him down or change his mentality. We know he will attack his rehabilitation as aggressively as he competes on the floor. His determination and work ethic is undeniable and he remains committed to what we are building here in Cleveland. Everyone have a safe, healthy, and happy Thanksgiving. Hashtag camel cased let them know exclamation point and then a big <laughs> scribble kobe altman signature you know so there's your missive from the desk of kobe altman <laughs> um I, is it me or was that a little pretentious chris i mean it's it's a lot of things i think it's it's absolutely pretentious i mean that's that's just number i mean that's a given that's always a given but like it's also kind of it, it's 
I get a sense of desperation almost, you know, it's a little, it's laying it on a little too thick. Don't you think? Like, I feel like it's laying it like the propagandist for North Korea would blush <laughs> at, 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 at such, it, uh, you it, know, it feels like it was prepared by the DPRK news service. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is probably one of my favorite Twitter Twitter follows, which is a, basically yeah. a fake North Korean news Twitter feed, and it's usually pretty hilarious. But <laughs> yeah, I mean it it is a little ridiculous. And as you said, of course, this isn't the first letter we've gotten from him. When was the last letter we got? <laughs> it was wasn't it just after the the hot start like i, I don't yeah. know what the record what i mean like was it was it like the first couple of games yeah now, I'm gonna, even, now I'm gonna go back and look what about you Eli? i know what's your what's your immediate reaction to that i mean it's just it's just weird that the Cavs can't seem to buy a break two years in a row on the injury front i gotta be honest i think getting too many of these is gonna kind of irk me i kind of wish that uh he would just do a press conference to answer some questions on the hot seat and I think it's, you know, just interesting that he keeps putting these letters out at points in the season where if we just look back to last year, we actually had like similar or if not better records after the number of games. So it's it's a little weird to me, a little defensive. Maybe he thinks the season is still very hot and he's trying to show he's, you know, connecting and engaging with the fan base more. So I think it's a little weird and tacky and pretentious, but um uh, at the same time, I guess if I was, you know, Kobe Allman has definitely done a good good job. He's put together his team, his vision. Maybe he might be seeing something that we didn't see in hindsight um, in terms of playing this big lineup. We all laughed at Laurie Markkinen starting at the three, which has been a lot better than I could have ever imagined. So I wanted to give his props of the team that he assembled, but I still think the letters are definitely a little weird touch yeah and i you know you know who they didn't mention in the letter is is dan gilbert uh which which i thought was weird and you know it's even more weird because we recorded this segment earlier but i didn't hit record so this is the part where chris says well he's been in a couple games (laughs) and then i said we've all seen weekend at bernie's so So, you know, we we intimated there was a body double there somewhere. So that's right. Breaking news. Uh, Body double conspiracy. You're here to hear first. Cavs the podcast. But I, I, you know, I agree with you, Eli. I think Altman's definitely put together a roster that's been a lot more competitive than we thought it would be. Um, He's actually embraced NBA size a lot more. Uh, than he has in the past. Garland looks amazing right now. And, you know, I think the, the proof in the pudding a little bit is going to be, you know, you had said it's it's going to give Isaac Okora a chance to start. I'm super excited about what that means. Uh, you know, we finally had a breakout game after uh, shooting pretty poorly. He had his first uh, multiple three-point game of the season, um, last game hit three three pointers. Had uh, you know, and it would struggle, and a lot of guys were giving up on him, and it looked problematic. But also, you have to remember he's a guy that's only literally been in the league fourteen months, 
has not played a full NBA regular season worth of games yet. Um, so I'm more than willing to admitting, give him the benefit of the doubt because he's still just 20 years old. So I, I think the future is bright for Isaac Okoro. But, Chris, I know you had some some lineup concerns. Yeah, uh, I think the the lineup concerns that I have were essentially on the offensive end with um, he and Jared Allen. Um, they are an elite defensive tandem uh, for certain, um, but they struggle to produce NBA offense on the on the offensive end, um, and it's going to have to get figured out. Um, I I've, I have been a fan of the idea of a Coro starting with Darius Garland in the starting unit, as opposed to Colin Sexton, for instance, um, because he's uh, more of a lower usage um, role player type, as far as doing the dirty work, uh, you know, doing defense on ball, off ball, you know, rebounding, passing, connective passes, secondary playmaking. Um, I think I, uh, so I love the fit. I love the idea of a Cora starting at the two. Uh, the question is, can they make the offense go? And that it's going to, it's going to be incumbent upon guys like Darius Garland, Laurie Marketin, and, uh, Evan Mobley when he gets back and Jared Allen as well. It's going to be incumbent upon those guys to really produce, step up their game, uh, as far as scoring is concerned to kind of, um, uh, you know, be a, be a more effective NBA offense with, um, a Coro on the court. What about you, Eli? Any, uh, rebuttal to that? I, you know, earlier I said you're, you're laying back in the weeds, uh, and, and now you're going to bring the thunder. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I don't know about the thunder, but I think that I do like how he's a more low usage guy than Sexton for sure. Although, ironically, I think he, it's been reported that Okoro thinks he can be like a point guard or at least a good secondary ball handler, which ironically I don't think is a good skill set for him right now. I just think he's so not confident in his shooting that he thinks he could be a better passer and ball handler. So, um, look, I think he's had some injury concerns. He had like the flu, the hamstring injury, so he hasn't even played in that many games. Let's give this guy a chance. Let's give him the opportunity to defend his way through um, his offensive troubles. And, you know, the player that I keep coming back to is I feel like he's an Andre Roberson defensive type of player. But unfortunately, his supporting cast is not KD and Russell Westbrook right now. So, um, look, I think that he's definitely has a higher ceiling than Roberson, but I think right now that's kind of his impact. Um, I think Okoro needs to play. He just needs to shoot more. And I think in the game last game where he made two threes or three threes, I think his shooting was a little different. And then Fedor of Cleveland.com posted an article saying that he was tinkering with his mechanics. Um, So let's hope that that mechanic switch is definitely going to help him continue to feel more confident and launch the threes because that's the Cavs definitely need that um, for him to be on the court for significant minutes. Yeah. I mean, I'll totally agree with both you guys that those lineups don't make a ton of sense with Allen and Okoro. I think they can work, but 
I don't think they work with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen in the starting yes. lineup. That, yeah, absolutely that's the correct. Big problem. I think yep. you can get away with it. Like if you were starting Love and Markinen, or you know Markinen and Chetty, uh, guys who have shown a willingness to take and make three point shots, but it's you know really difficult to run an NBA starting lineup with basically three non shooters on the floor. Um, you know, and Mobley's a guy that right now in his NBA career, you want him taking enough to keep defenses honest, that you don't want to make him a prolific perimeter, you know, shooter, because that's not what he's good at offensively. Um, I would say the other side of that is I'd actually like to see Jared Allen step out a little more and, you know, willingly take some of these long jumpers. Uh, but the Cavs have kind of completely eliminated the mid range from, their offense, which is really kind of interesting, um, given that they were so mid-range heavy the last couple of years. I mean, we called them Team Flob for a while because everything <laughs> was a floater or a lob. Um, you bring up – I think you bring up two great points there, Nate. The well, first one – I want you ahead. to hold on to those – that. Oh, okay. Yeah, of course. And we'll course. be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Cavs of Podcast. Eli, you were going to – not Eli, Chris, you are going to rebut. Um, well, so too good. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say you actually bring up, I totally agree with you, and I think you bring up a great point about the mid-range, the lack of mid-range game because that's my main criticism of the coaching staff as it relates to how they're kind of going about coaching up uh, Isaac Okoro. Um, I think uh, that... I mean, if you look at the stats, he's absolutely uh, non-functional in the mid-range. I mean, I think he's shooting 6% uh, from 3 to 10 feet from the rim, and he hasn't made one basket between 10 and 16 feet uh, from the rim. And so the mid-range game is completely absent, and he's not really shooting well from 3 so far. You, you know, he did, you know, I guess he did okay for a rookie last year, but I mean, is definitely regressed this year. And the thing that I wonder about is, you know, what if he had a game that was more similar to, you know, like Lamar Stevens, you know, who does seem to have that mid-range jumper. And if he just had like an elbow jumper, that would open up a path to the rim for him. You know, is if he could just get guys to bite on a pump fake in the at the elbow, it'll open up these paths that he can get to the rim. You know, and obviously that's what Okoro excels at is finishing around the rim with both hands. So, uh, you know, I think you bring up a great point. That I, I wonder, and it's also an easier shot to make. I think the thing about Okoro's shooting motion that I've noticed is that he's a he's because he's so strong. He has such a strong upper body. He just needs to flick his wrist. You know, he has a shot that he sets the ball up and just flicks his wrist. And I found that that type of motion is a very nice motion to have close to the basket. But if you try to extend it with range, it gets more difficult to be accurate with that type of motion. And so I just wonder why didn't they coach him up to just get an elbow jumper so that they can, you know, and so that that would open up a path to the rim for him. I I don't, I mean, I don't, he doesn't even seem to have that in his game right now. And, at all like he no is, no he barrels into the he barrels no. into the defender every time right and and i think a lot of that's coaching um 
yeah, he has no change of pace. Everybody knows he's going to the rim. Um, he's not shifty enough with the ball to be a Ben Simmons, where even though, you know, he's not a, a threat to shoot at all, he can still, you know, drive uh, and, and is shifty enough to get people off balance. And a lot of that is because his passing is so poor too, Okoro. But he passes, he overpasses is his other problem. Like he gets around the rim and then just overpasses to the point of ridiculousness or does that thing where he dribbles around for two or three seconds and then throws the ball to a big out on the perimeter with two seconds left on the shot clock and no ability to do anything. So, but, but a lot of that is just seasoning for him. He just needs to play um, yep. and play consistently. Yep. And I think he'll figure it out a little bit more, you know, so I don't know. I mean, he has it in him. He had that 32 point outburst last season. So yeah, and he had he some can, good, he had other good know, games last year. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at the end of the year, you know, when he was playing more at the two position like he is now. So one thing I've really liked, his rebounding has been much better this year. Agreed. Um, he has really attacked the defensive glass on multiple occasions. Um, I like his work the on the offensive. offensive yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody agrees that one of his best traits is his ability to cut off the ball, and he's been really hunting down offensive rebounds too, which has been great for him. So, um, but I, I think it brings up another good point. You know, the Cavs have had some problems with wing depth, um, and we've seen Chetty Osman been out now with back spasms, and you know, Dylan Windler. We all wanted to see more from him, but I'm not loving what I'm seeing. Uh, I see a guy right now that's afraid to shoot unless he's absolutely wide open. And if you play Dylan Windler eight minutes and he gets one shot, that is a waste of playing Dylan Windler in a basketball game. So I don't know. What have you seen from Dylan Windler? And is he sustainable long term or is at some point they're going to have to cut Beatty like yeah, I was really interested to see that the Cavs picked up his option, um, like no questions asked, basically. So he's definitely back next year, which means that I think they should let him sink or swim and uh, do whatever they need to do to see what he is. So I'm not a huge fan of him not shooting a lot either. I think that he has a capability to do so, but he just chooses not to. And he probably plays scared because he knows the hook the hook is very, very quick with him. His leash is really short right now. So I, you know, he has encouraging games, you know, last year he made what eight or nine threes in a row across three games. So he has the ability. It's just that I don't think he's the most confident person himself because he's so scared of getting hurt or so scared of getting pulled. And I think another compounding factor is that Lamar Stevens is, you know, every coach's dream. He probably hustles all the time in practice. So at the benefit of the doubt, at the lower half of the rotation, Lamar is going to beat out a guy like Dylan Winler all the time. So I'm sure that plays somewhat of a part in the confidence factor as well for him. Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what Eli said there. I think uh, Eli made a great point about um, the inconsistent minutes that Winler receives and perhaps its effect on his confidence, you know, I think he's a guy that probably should be is with the lack of wing depth that you brought up to begin with here, you know, 
you should probably be seeing something more uh, like 20 minutes instead of 12 that he's been receiving. You know, granted, he had those early injury concerns to start out the gate again, you know. But um, I think, yeah, I think the situation with him is I feel like there's some coaching involved with it because, you know, every time he touches the ball, he should be shooting. You know, he should rarely be, you know, pump faking, driving and making decisions like he has been over the past couple of games that I've seen him struggle recently. Um, it, it's apparent, you know, with the absence of Sexton that perhaps he's, you know, doing too much, you know, trying to do, uh, trying to make plays that just simply are outside of his regular game, which is just hoisting threes and, and finishing at the rim. Uh, so, um, I'd like to see more minutes for him. I'd like to see the coaching staff, you know, really emphasize him getting shots, uh, getting shots up. And, you know, what about a pump fake and sidestep three, you know, that'd be a nice thing to add to his game, you know, that wouldn't require him having to pump fake and drive and make decisions. So I'd like to see, you you know, a side, just a sidestep three, you know, when they close hard, you know, and, you, you can make a living that, you know, with as long as he is, it, Eli made another great point with Lamar Stevens in the rotations. Uh, if I can add too, is that, uh, basically if you look at the roster, a and Stevens are the strongest perimeter defenders that we have. And the question to me is, and you know, I'll open it to you guys is, do you guys see, Windler's lack of strength uh, as a, a prohibitive factor in him cracking the starting lineup. Uh, or, you know, to me, the question is, I think he can compensate with his length. So I don't know. That's an open question about whether uh, how he can defend, what position can he defend. So I don't know what you guys think about uh, that with respect to Windler. Eli, you want to take that one? No, I, I think I agree. Um with the I kind of agree with the lead up to the question with Okoro and Stevens being similarly built, similarly uh, skilled defensively. And look, let's face it, Windler is not going to be brought in to play defense. He's he's different <laughs> from those other <laughs> he's he's different from the other two guys, and he should definitely play into that by shooting whenever he gets you know a look off the catch. So um, you know, I've heard this philosophy with NBA. Uh, coaching as well where you know you want your backups you prefer your backups or bench role players to bring an element that's different from your starting lineup um, and you don't necessarily just want backups who are lesser versions of the same players you start so for me I think it's a ideally the Cavs organization probably wants Windler to be the role player off the bench that lights it up um, can get you, you know, five threes off the bench on a night when he's hot. In worst case scenario, he gets you one or two clutch threes, you know, in his 15 minutes a game. So, um, you know, I think ultimately Windler's not going to be brought in to be a defensive specialist and to, to pigeonhole him and make him earn his minutes on that end of the floor, I think is, is not a good move or a smart outlook for him. Yeah, and I think it, a lot of it comes back to JB's coaching philosophy is he's a defensive first coach, and I think that makes a lot of sense given the roster construction, but sometimes you got to play guys that can hit shots and live with somebody being an average defender. I think the biggest problem Windler's had is 
he's been super inconsistent when he has played, and a lot of that has been around the coaching and the lack of consistency in minutes, the lack of consistency in, you know, knowing when he's going to play. I I think, a, you know, a sustained effort to give him 10 to 15 minutes a night would be super useful. I also get super annoyed that the Cavs don't seem to run plays for him. Um, one of the thing that drove me absolutely nuts last game is the one shot that they got is they ran the old uh, Kyle Korver play when they're running that pin down with the screen from the corner and he runs up to the top of the key and shoots that three. You know the one I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the problem Classic. was they ran it on the wrong damn side for a left-handed player. Like, why? <laughs> I'm like, why are you running the play the mirror opposite of the way you should be running it for a left-handed player? You should be running it so he's moving towards his left hand and he's right in his shooting motion. You're, like, running it backwards. It makes no sense. You're giving the defender, you know, five, six inches more to recover to. And I'm like, that, that's just awful. Why would you do that? Um, so I'm a little baffled there. Like they don't seem to run plays for him and set him up for success that way. So I, I was annoyed by that. Um, and that's literally the only play they ran for him. And then they're running a bunch of catch and shoot stuff. Um, you know, to me, part of that is on Ricky Rubio, who I thought was pretty lousy in the third quarter last game. Made up for a lot in the fourth, but I really thought he played towards the end of that third quarter pretty poorly, um, especially the way he managed the end-of-the-clock situation, taking a bad shot on a two-for-one, and then taking a bad shot to end the quarter with about five seconds left. So, you know, I feel like the Cavs' guards have to be a little bit more deliberate about getting the wings involved and getting guys like Dylan Windler involved and getting them shots. Um, but I also say the other part of the problem is the Cavs need to go find another guard. Um, and whether that guard exists on their team or whether that guard is somebody they got to bring in, the absence of Colin Sexton to me means, hey, you got to go find another ball handler because you're going to wear out Rubio and Garland. And now you're literally. You can't go – if one of those guys gets hurt, you have no backup point guard. So, Cavs got to figure something out there. And we'll talk about it more when we come back. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Chris Francis and Eli Kim. And we're talking about uh, whether the Cavs need another guard. And, you know, to me it feels like they do. Um, I don't get the sense this team trusts – uh, Kevin Pangos to do anything other than run the the zoo crew at the end of blowouts or you know the last thirty seconds of games that are decided. Um, to me, you can't go through a season now that Sexton's hurt with literally only two ball handlers on your team because you at at the very least have to have an insurance policy. Um, you know, to me, there's two options: you either go get somebody, and I'm assuming the Cavs would apply for some kind of disabled player exception uh, with Colin Sexton out for the year. Uh, but I don't know if how that works. Um, and I think the other option is, do you take a chance on letting Chetty Osman be a playmaker again? Or do you just live with what we've gotten from Chetty Osman so far because it's been really good and you don't want to screw that up? 
Eli, what what are your thoughts there? And if you're talking, you're on mute. <laughs> oh, my apologies there. Yeah, as, as we've all gone through in the last year and a half, three, four times a day, <laughs> if you're on any kind of corporate business, you do that three or four times a day <laughs> on yeah. a Zoom call. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Kevin Pangus is probably uh, nothing more than a blowout guy or, you know, the the 6-1 victory cigar, um, as some have called Darko Milosic the seven-foot victory cigar for the Pistons when they won their championship. So other than that, uh, I do think the Cavs should make a move for a playmaking uh, ball handler. Ideally, um, it'd be a bigger one who plays a little defense at the minimum or sh- if he's smaller can shoot threes to kind of keep the floor spaced. So what about a guy that may have been on the Cavs roster last year, Eli? Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Uh, Dante Exum. I mean, that feels like a really good fit to me, yeah, especially I, because he can play three positions for them, which is something they need right now. Yeah, I think, I like the Exum idea. I think the only I think another complicating factor is that Windler would never see a minute for the Cavs, assuming Exum is all then. So uh, that's not a bad idea. I actually like that idea. Uh, Chris, any thoughts on that? Do you? Do you I, well, I guess I'll follow up with Eli first. Do you mess with Osman at all, or do you just keep him in the same role? I think it'd be really hard to take Osman out of the role he's in right now. Um, he's been playing really well. Uh, I'm maybe I'm crazy, but maybe you let a Coro dribble the ball a little bit more. Um, if Rubio and Garland are not in the game, which would be a dumb idea, but I can see <laughs> them trying to do that for some reason. Yeah, I and, think that I think every time they've tried that this year, it has not worked well in actual game situations. I, oh, for I, sure. I, there's yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think you're 100% right um, on that. So, I don't know. I do think they have to go out for talent uh, at the ball handling spot, though. Um, so, And, and I don't want to – sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, I guess my thing is, is I don't want to get into another situation like last season where they didn't go get another guard, and then they're literally signing Yogi Berra or sorry, Yogi Ferrell <laughs> off the street and letting him play 20 minutes the next night. I'm like, what? what is this? So I feel like the Cavs really ought to be doing themselves a favor there and, and trying to find another guy. Um, you know, I liked the idea of Emmanuel Moudier. I don't know where he's at. He's been out of the league two years now, now at this point. So that may be unrealistic. Um, you know, I like Exum, who looked good in training camp for Houston and had a nice deal, and then they cut him for salary reasons and clearly was a dumb decision given their record right now. So, I don't know. What about you, Chris? Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I definitely could consider me on board with the Exum idea. I mean, he performed well in uh, whatever limited capacity he did last year for the Cavs. Um I, you know, I'll zag a little bit and say, you know, I think I agree with both of you guys in terms of bringing up the question of maybe giving Chetty more responsibility. I think he's played well enough and earned the opportunity for more responsibility. I, I get the I get the concern about putting too much on his plate and having his play regress. 
but um, I think he's young enough, and I just feel I, I feel differently about Chetty this year. I feel like you know he's kind of now he's been in the league four or five years. He's seen a lot of the teams multiple times. He's still pretty young, and you know I just feel like he's matured maybe this year a little bit. So who knows, you know? And and that was also the thing with his Turkish his uh, national team experience uh, for the Turkey team is that uh, he was, he was a guy that was a playmaker. He was a guy with the ball in his hands more, you know, a la Spanish Rubio. So, um, but uh, I get the concern about putting more on his plate after such an effective start to the season. Um, Okoro uh, at the point uh, maybe should be considered. That's a way that you could stagger, Okoro and Allen's minutes, you know, uh, as far as creating more effective offensive lineups, uh, putting him at the point. But, um, you know, I, 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 at the end of the day, I tend to agree with you. Uh, this is a, I feel like now that the team has Mobley, you really can't waste any time while you have Mobley on your team. And right now you're in the thick of the playoff race, you know, quarter way through the season you know, find a guy that can help you. You know, I, I think that's where I'm at with the with the situation with uh, Sexton's absence. I, I'll throw another idea out there. Um, you know, is there any guy playing for another team that you feel like, hey, this team doesn't look like it's going anywhere. Maybe the Cavs try to acquire somebody there. And I will just throw a team out there that, boy, it looks like it wouldn't be a bad idea to see what pieces they might be willing to unload. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs don't look like they're going to do anything this year. They are 4-12 and right now. Um, you know, lost five in a row, have a negative point differential. Um, it, it sure feels like that might not be a sustainable long-term team um and there you know there's a lot of teams that are hovering around 500 out there but that feels like a team that's definitely not a positive team right now is is maybe take a run at DeJounte Murray I I think that's a long shot to be honest with you but no I like I mean yeah it's of course it's a long shot but I like where your mind's at uh you know I was thinking of Derek White also on that team as well yeah or a Bryn Forbes Although right. he's more of a shooter. That's more realistic. Yeah, he's more of a uh, <laughs> Seth Curry than right. a Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah, I like where your mind's at. How about, uh, you know, when you when you first proposed this just a second ago, I, my mind went to Sacramento, you know? Is there a piece that can be had? I don't think they have an Heald? extra guard, though. Well, so but the problem with Buddy <laughs> Heald is he's not – a playmaker, you know, he's, he's definitely, he's more of a scorer, you know, and if you, if you followed this team on Twitter, a lot of people have thrown out the idea of Buddy Heald over the last, you know, couple weeks and over the last couple of years. But to me, that's a, that's a tough get. I don't know. What about you, Eli? Any ideas there? Ooh, I really like the uh, Spurs idea. I think Derek White is having like an atrocious year so far, so he's probably a good buy low candidate. Um, I also don't mind reaching out to the Kings to try to pry Buddy Hield, but that would be with the intent to maybe play Jetty a little bit more on the ball 
playmaking with the second unit, in my opinion, if you make that move. So, um, yeah, and that Derek White deal, I mean, he's got a $15 million contract, which seems really expensive for a guy that is shooting 28% from three and 40% from the field. Sorry, I mean, that's a that's a really bad uh, slump that he's in this year so far. Well, yeah, and that's a tough contract. Sorry, you were you were going on Eli, and I interrupted you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. And then um, I guess the another kind of out of the box idea would be maybe you just say screw it and you go for Ben Simmons. Just throwing it out there again. I know that that. <laughs> wow. I, th- I didn't think it was going to come up, but it did. <laughs> Eli, Eli never disappoints. <laughs> yeah. Coming through uh, in the clutch. If you're, if you're going so, to so get a star, you buy a Explain to me how, um, and, and I'm not poo-pooing you here, explain to me how Ben Simmons fits on this team. Like, what's his role? Ben Simmons would be... You would trade for Ben Simmons if you can't get Rubio to an extension. So my so long-term Rubio would, would be move in that deal. Yeah, or you'd find him. Uh, you you trade him for another three and D type of player. Um, but my vision would be that Simmons and Garland would stagger a lot. You can play them together, obviously, at points where Simmons maybe is more of that. Uh, like that power forward, do it all point forward, fulcrum kind of guy in the pick and roll. But obviously, Simmons will also have a decent amount of minutes, maybe 20 minutes where he's the on-ball guy directing traffic, getting open three-point looks for the rest of the team. And, um, you know, I think it'd be a decent fit because besides his, you know, being not vaccinated and his mental health, uh, issues now. He's relatively healthy. You are and not selling me. <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out. Oh, sorry. The Cavs already don't embrace not shooting threes, so adding another non-shooter to me is not a not not a bad thing in my opinion. So, and he fits his defense identity with fit with this team and JV Bickerstaff's uh, you know team building concepts. So. I, I still think that whenever there's a chance to get an all-star and you're paying below market price for him, you got to do it. And I think the playmaking on the Cavs is something that they still just don't have enough of, and he can help fill that void while also being taller than six foot two. So that's just that's just an idea I have. It's a pipe dream at this point because I think – it's going to take at least a year for this trade to happen at this point with all the negativity and just not a lot of traction. And the other point that hurts is Sexton is hurt and the 76ers are actually playing really well without him anyway. So there's just, um, you know, off the top of my head, that's the only one player that I could see as a big playmaking guy that kind of fits. Yeah. Um, the other pipe dream is Brandon Ingram, but that's that opens a whole another can of worms, I think, too. Yeah. I, I mean, I think a guy like a Josh Hart would possibly be available. Although, 
from, you know, just recently, he's one of the few guys that's been playing well for him. So that's for them. That's, that's a little bit difficult. Um, but yeah, there's not a lot of those guys out there, uh, that are available. And the other thing that makes trading difficult for the Cavs is like you said, Colin Sexton's hurt. So nobody's going to want to trade for him. Kevin Love's contract is really rich. So you either got to take back a really bad contract, aka Ben Simmons right now. Um, or you have to um, move a guy you don't want to move like a Chetty Osman, um, which, you know, one step forward, two steps back uh, with, with the way that trade would work out for anybody other than, a you know, a high-level starter or role player. So the Cavs, the contracts they have to move, you know, Dylan Windler, Stevens, the, those guys are hard to get anything for. Um, given the way that Cavs' uh, salary cap is right now. Um, and, and that makes trading difficult as well. Um, the other idea, you know, that I was kicking around was, um, oh, uh, who was it in uh, Houston? John Wall. Would you, would you take a flyer on John Wall for, like, a Kevin Love? Either of you guys, or is that just... I no, I I'd say uh, if there's an opportunity there to uh, swindle some draft picks, why not? Uh, that's interesting. I think the problem is is you may end up over the cap or over the tax. I don't know. What about you, Eli? I would do it and take you do a buyout to get under the tax. You tell them, hey, this we're only doing this because. Or you're going to become a free agent. We'll pay you the majority of your contract out, except the amount that gets us under the tax. And uh, you know, basically, Dan Gilbert will be writing a twelve million dollar check for some draft picks. But I would consider it. Um, I'll consider. See, it for I sure. was talking John Wall to play <laughs> point guard. <laughs> you, you, I think the problem is think why would realistic? he? Yeah, I mean, he's not going to start over Garland. So would he be willing to take a, yeah, would he, the question in my mind practically is, would he be willing to be a six man type of player? Yeah. Or yeah. And there's a lot of fit issues there for sure. Cause he's never been a knockdown shooter either. Exactly. Right. So yeah, it's interesting, but neither Um, has Rubio until he came to Cleveland. Well, that's true. Rubio's that's right. Crazy this year. So, and I, I think, you know, and maybe we'll talk a little Rubio and then maybe a little Turkey um, when we get back. Welcome back to Cavs, a podcast. Um, you know, before we went to the break, we were touching on one of the things that has just been a true joy of the season for me. And that's watching Ricky Rubio play basketball every night. Um, I think the good has far outweighed the bad. And his confidence, his competitiveness, and his willingness to, you know, just do whatever it takes to try and win every night has been really infectious for the Cavs this season. Um, And it's really funny because he is shooting a horrible percentage, 38% from the field, um, but he's scoring the most he's ever scored in his career, 15 points a game, six assists, uh, you know, 3.8 rebounds. Uh, Chris, you can kind of dig into his net rating, but he's been super fun and just 
a joy to watch on this Cavs team. Um, I, I guess my only big worry is, is he a Cav at the end of the year? Um, or do the Cavs look to move him if they don't think they can re-sign him uh, in the offseason, Eli? Yeah, I think um, ideally I would love to re-sign him to an extension, but I think Rubio does not want to be here long-term. I think he's kind of hinted that Cleveland was a surprise at the beginning of the year. So, I, think- I See, I don't know if I, I buy that. I think if the Cavs are the only team that is willing to pay him an eight-figure salary, uh, I think he'd absolutely want to be here. <laughs> and they may be the only team that can afford to do so. Yeah, it's possible, but I do think teams are willing to give up first-round picks for him right now. So I think that might be too enticing for Altman, um, especially if the Cavs, you know, don't stay up, but at that 500 to the playoff or play-in kind of level. So I want him to be here. I just think that um, the Cavs continue to show that they're all about finding assets and finding value and a 32-year-old point guard entering next year uh, may not be that value piece, especially if you're planning on bringing Colin Sexton back. Yeah, to me, that annoys me, and I feel like we're really going to find out if the Cavs were BSing us about being competitive if they go find another guard to play with Rubio and Garland, and if they don't, then it was all garbage. (laughs) Um, Because I don't think the the two point guard lineup they're running right now with the amount of minutes they're giving Rubio and Garland is long term sustainable. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, what about you? Give me some. Did you dig into the on off data at all, Chris? Yeah, I mean, Rubio is just a wizard. Like he makes everybody. He makes so many lineups work. Like he makes the backup like Chetty Osman. Uh, Windler Wade lineups he makes work. He makes Isaac Okoro a net positive. He makes Colin Sexton a positive. He makes uh, he and Darius Garland are an elite uh, tandem uh, at the one and two spot. So it's just crazy his impact. Uh, his impact stats are ridiculous. I mean, he's right now he's ranked uh, 99th in EPM. So uh, and he's ranked top Is that three. Percentile? In- uh, no, no. Uh, his uh, ranking out of the overall, yeah, ninety ninth okay. in the NBA. Yes, and uh, he's at uh, in this. It's in the seventy third percentile is where he's at. Um, Still very good. Team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's had a renaissance here. You know, he's playing. Ab- he's definitely taken his game to another level with the Cavs. So uh, I think. Um, you know, I think it'd be a crying shape. This is exactly what this is the kind of guy they need to bring in. You know, this was a home run acquisition. But I mean, honestly, I besides drafting Mobley, this is probably the best move he's ever made. Uh, Kobe Altman, in my opinion, this was, uh, you know, a swindling uh, of the highest level. And the fit was just like a glove. Um, it's just unbelievable how well he fits with everyone. Um, and how he makes all sorts of lineups work. So he even makes, you know, they were, they were something like plus 40 with, uh, he, Rubio, uh, Rubio, DG, and the, uh, triple towers, you know, with Markinen, Mobley, and Allen. He makes those lineups work offensively. Like he's able to get 
the bigs, uh, offensive production from the bigs, uh, you know, so in, in, you, you, you could just even remember the play against Boston where it was literally just him orchestrating and reading the game. And he ends up getting Jared Allen, a lob dunk completely uncontested just because he's able to manipulate the defense with his, uh, know how so and his um, eyes i mean he's yeah exactly moving the defense with his eyes exactly he never looked once at jared allen and just there was that mind meld already you know that's the other thing is that there's they're scraping the surface with all these guys because you know they they brought in marketing they brought in mobley they brought in rubio all three of these guys are rotation guys that weren't on the team last year so they're you know it seems like there's uh there's more to be had offensively that can be discovered. So um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think, what kind of, con- if you could, if you could control the negotiation, what kind of contract would you sign them for at the end of the year? If you could. Oh man. So I would probably sign him to a three year deal with the final year, like a partial guarantee, like maybe like three or 4 million on the final year um, at, you know, 12 mil per. Um, I think that's a really tough one to do if you are giving Colin Sexton a big raise and you still have Kevin Love on your roster because I think that likely puts you over the luxury tax. But the other side of that is who are you signing to get into Cleveland? And if you can re-sign a free agent and be competitive with that free agent and – Sign him to a contract that is at once tradable, and if if it's not working out, and if you want to move him, but that is also reasonable, and 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 probably not something he's going to get somewhere else. You know, I think you would have to sign him above the mid level, um, and, and more than a two year deal. I I think that's doable. Um, What's your upper limit? Uh, probably. <sighs> 15, 14, 15 million, anywhere from 14 to 16, depending on where the salary cap comes back. Um, and then, like I said, a three-year deal with a third year is a partial guarantee. Um, I don't know. what. It, what's your thoughts on that contract, Eli? I know you're a contract guy. Yeah, I mean, I'd actually go even higher. Um, I'd be willing to give him Rubio two, 30, two years for 30 million total. Well, yeah, that's about where I was at. I said fourteen yeah. to sixteen, so I I was talking per year. Sorry, so yeah. I'm I'm thinking you know three year, forty five million dollar contract, but that last year is only a partial you know three four million guaranteed. Yeah, I mean I I don't I think that's about it. I mean he's making seventeen now. That's kind of the I think that's definitely where his agent will definitely want the starting point to be. And I could see the Cavs being like, hey, look. Um, Maybe we give you three fifty one, but you're not getting mid level more than the middle level from anyone else. Yeah, so I mean that's a very you know it's definitely above market, but it's kind of wouldn't surprise me, and I'd be it wouldn't be like a grand slam deal, but it'd still be a good solid deal for the Cavs, I think, at that number. So, uh, question for you: Does if you had to put odds on whether Ricky Rubio is going to be a Cav after the trade deadline. 
And then next year, what what are those odds? Oof. I think after a trade deadline, I'd say it's 60% he'd be a calf. Um, in the off season, I'll say it's 50-50. Interesting. Um, uh, what about you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because uh, – the Eli's numbers kind of surprised me there for a second. It's a little more optimistic than I would have thought. I almost get this is kind of a reverse jinx, but I also kind of believe this as well. I, I don't see him. I feel like kind of what Eli alluded to before with Kobe Altman being like a wheeler and dealer acquisition mode. You know, treat the you know the team like a spreadsheet type deal. That he's there's no chance he's here by the deadline. I feel like there's or there's no chance he's going to resign, which would be a crying, absolute crying shame. I would be totally against it. I want to lock him up. I want him to be a Cav uh, till he retires, uh, because I th- I just think his value to Sexton and Garland uh, can't be measured solely by what he produces on the court. Nice. So I'm gonna bring up another guy that I think has played really well of late. Um, and that's Dean Wade. And I think we all saw something from him in the way that he played against, uh, the nets, a really nice defense on Kevin Durant, really starting to get his confidence as a starter. Um, you know, I think the one thing we would all like him to score a little more. Um, but I feel like he's, you know, extending out that ability a little bit. And, you know, over his last eight games, he's hitting, you know, around 37% of his three-point shots. Um, Nice. You know, do you think Dean Wade, as his team gets healthy, you know, remains a part of the rotation, Chris? I I think he's kind of earned it. And, you know, I hate to see another guy get in front of Dylan Windler, but his defense has been a bit of a revelation to me. Yeah, I think he's played excellent. I think there's been an improvement this year based upon his experiences last year. And um, it'd be a crying shame at this point. Unfortunately, I'm kind of, you know, I'm a little skittish about JB. I feel like if JB had his way, he'd probably go to Lamar Stevens before he'd go to Dean Wade, which is quite unfortunate because I I think that's true. I think if that were true, Lamar Stevens would be starting right now. I mean, I, you know, that's, you know, totally fair point. And I hope you're, I 100% hope you're right because, uh, you know, I think he's earned it. And I think he deserves a permanent spot in the rotation should everybody get healthy. I mean, you know, it's, he's, I mean, what he did against KD was super impressive. Like he showed quick feet, he showed strength. He showed the ability to challenge shots, make it difficult on a scorer such as KD to get his shot off, you know, it, it, which is exactly what you need to do, you know, against an elite scorer like KD. And uh, now his shot's falling, as you just mentioned. So I think he's finally caught a little bit of groove. He's gotten consistent minutes finally, you know, after sparingly playing uh, the first five or ten games to start the season. And so... Uh, I hope he's a permanent fixture, and I think he's uh, totally earned it. So, Eli, any thoughts on Dean Wade, or as I call him, Jimmy Dean Wade, James <laughs> Dean Wade? Um, you know, I'm James a- Dean. <laughs> he's a uh, he's been a good player. Uh, 
Um, he was super impressive against the Nets, guarding KD. Uh, it's interesting. The Cavs seem to have these tall guys that are better at guarding on the perimeter than the interior in Wade and Markinen. So I think that's a useful trait, especially if they do plan on having the vision of being big on the perimeter. So I, I was uh, amazed by Markinen last game. I thought he was awesome on defense. Yeah. Just and, uh, super disruptive. For sure. And I think that uh, Wade is ironically kind of a mixture of Stevens and Windler where he can shoot when he's hot. He can defend when he's kind of in the zone, but he's kind of also not the most consistent player. Um, he had probably one of the worst games right before the Nets game where he been hit the broad side of the barn. So um, ideally, and, you and know, that's a he, young team yeah. thing, but he is 25. It's not like he's a spring chicken. Yeah. And, you know, he did, you know, he did play all four years in college too. So he's only been in the, you know, the NBA scene for a couple of years, three years, I think now. So um, I like him. I think he has a place in the rotation, even when everyone's healthy. Uh, he might be getting all the Windler minutes going forward, but um, yeah, I mean, I like him overall and think he could be a good fit. Nice. Nice. I don't know if we have too much other Cavs news other than, you know, what do we think the Cavs, you know, next few games look like? I think we all know a tall order coming up against Golden State. Um, it's a brutal, brutal, it's schedule, a brutal schedule to, yes, to all the way until like pretty much late December is playoff team after playoff team. Yeah, I guess it's not Golden State. I guess it's the Suns who destroyed them in, uh, you know, Phoenix. And then they play the Magic, and that's pretty much uh, it for a while. <laughs> like, we've got the Magic, <laughs> then we've got at the Mavericks, at the Heat, at the Wizards, then the Jazz come to town, and I believe they have among the best records in the NBA. Um then the Bucks, the Bulls, the T-Wolves, and the Kings are finally like, okay, a couple of below 500 teams. Hey. And that's just in the next two weeks. I mean, they also, you know, along with that, are playing pretty much every other night for a while after this or more. Um, they've got a real nice uh, five games in seven nights stretch going up uh, – or five games and six nights going December 5th to December 11th, which is, I guess that's seven nights, but that's insane. Um, yeah, it's a brutal schedule for sure. <laughs> I mean, right up all the way through Christmas. That There are no nights off in the NBA anymore. So I, I don't know. What do you – how many games do they have in January here? Um, like at the end of January, what is your – yeah, hope for January in terms of their schedule. Or not January, uh, December. Like, would you be thrilled with 50%? I would. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, especially given the injury luck that we have, we know that we're going to be out of Mobley for another week or two. Uh, no Sexton having to adjust to that. Uh, you know, um Finally, get some guys back. Finally, get some health back. Maybe finally make a run at some of the be- uh, at some of the 
poorer teams on the schedule at the end of it, you know? So, I mean, 500 is, you know, that would blow away. I mean, that, that puts us in the thick of, you know, the top six, right? I think it gets us close to top six contention. So, man, wouldn't that be, I mean, that's just amazing to think about. Yeah. I mean, and I will say, you know, towards the end of December, the schedule gets a little easier, but man, do they have a lot of games. Um, they have a nice three game break around Christmas and then it just gets brutal again. So yeah, it's, is is this a normal schedule? Is is it a normal scheduled year this year? It is. So yeah, it just feels like the Cavs have played a ton. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, the schedule makers did us like, it was funny. Somebody did a breakdown of the schedule making and it was clear basically that all the small market teams got screwed on the scheduling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Cavs have 19 games before the end of the year, which is insane. It, it's averaging more wow. than every other day. So we're, we're going to be busy watching and talking about the Cavs and, and hoping that they can get healthy and, and keep playing well. So, but it's a rough schedule. Mm-hmm. Eli is 50% a pipe dream. I think I'd be happy with, uh, you know, winning the winnable games, kind of getting an upset or two. So 50% seems a little optimistic, too optimistic for my take. Yeah. I'm but if you. that happens, I'd be super ecstatic. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. So um, that that's kind of all of our Cavs news. And then I just wanted to uh, wish you guys a happy Thanksgiving. Do uh, you guys got any big plans? Anything to pitch for Thanksgiving? Any uh, favorite Thanksgiving food that you want to pitch? Uh, or any Thanksgiving traditions that we should all start? Well, uh, I'll go first. Uh, the Thanksgiving plans is actually a little rendezvous with a couple buddies, uh, lifelong friends of mine up in New York City. Nice. So, Big Apple. So, yes, yes. So uh, just, uh, you know, fun weekend of probably just uh, watching a lot of ball, honestly, on the weekend and just uh, having having some fun, enjoying some time with friends. You know, that's a rare thing in the COVID age is, you know, getting together and everything. So um, just having a small get together with uh, buddies of mine I haven't seen often enough. Uh, as far as food, uh we're doing uh, pork tenderloin, so we're doing some barbecue. Nice, so. <laughs> nice. So kind of unconventional. So, so, what's your prep method there? Oh well, uh, have you ever had East Carolina barbecue? Is that the mustard barbecue? Yeah, it's actually more vinegar. Like, Vin- yeah, uh, vinegar. Yes. Yeah, m- yes. mustard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I don't know. It's an, it's might be an acquired taste for some. Oh, I love it. I, I, <laughs> oh, okay. Good. All right. All right. You're okay. I, I You're a much, real barbecue con- connoisseur. Then I, I pretty much enjoy every kind of seasoned and uh, smoked meat. Smoked meats. <laughs> yes. You, yes. That's what. Amen, brother. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, I'm. I'm. I'm happy. You'll have to give us a full barbecue report. So, oh, absolutely, you can count cool. on that. Cool, awesome. Uh, what about you, Eli? Yeah, I actually, um, our family, we don't really like eating turkey. So, this year we're doing uh, prime rib, and Very nice. uh, we also, you know, we, we still have a little turkey. So, I actually got some turkey legs. Just gonna. Oh, that's a good way to do it. You know, the best part of the turkey. So, just going to air fry those things. Maybe 
bake them a little bit first and then crisp them up. Um, in terms of things to pitch, I, uh, I'm a sucker for a uh, Christmas sale. I'll be honest. I think the last okay. couple of years of Great Lakes has been disappointing, but I think uh, this year's Christmas sale is actually pretty good. Yeah, my um, wife would agree with you. I had a picture of it tonight. Oh, obviously not by alone, but I share it with some buddies. <laughs> yeah, there would um, be a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, it was very good. You know, I was actually very pleasantly surprised and glad I got to uh, enjoy that, indulge that with some friends. So awesome! Yeah, my wife is a big fan of the Christmas beers. She definitely says that the Great Lakes is much better this year. She normally prefers the Twelve Dogs of Christmas, which is the Thirsty Dog uh, Brewing Company. Uh, and supposedly, the rumor is it's the original Christmas ale recipe, and then the brewmaster went and took the recipe to 12 Dogs uh, for, for Great Lakes. Um, another Christmas ale that's really good this year is the uh, Bell's Christmas ale. Is, um, it is based on a – it's more of like a spiced-up uh, – and, and I, like Christmas spices uh, – Scotch ale which is uh, a more malty and uh, alcohol-forward ale usually, um, and usually aged in, like, scotch barrels. But uh, it's, it's pretty good, pretty good stuff as well. So mm. check, out, check out the Bell's Christmas ale. It's pretty good. Um, in terms of my Thanksgiving plans, so we, my wife is from an enormous family. So her mom is one of ten kids. Oh yeah, my the God. oldest of 10 kids. So, and until this last year, so uh, my wife's grandma passed away in December, uh, and the whole family usually got together at Thanksgiving, but they didn't last year, obviously, because of COVID. Uh, it was a pretty small gathering last year. So, we're getting the big group back together this year. So, it, it should be pretty fun. Um, we do turkey, we do ham. Uh, my personal favorite is pecan pie, or as we call the grown up in Louisiana, pecan pie. Um, so that I will be trying not to go into a diabetic coma from pecan pie. And, <laughs> and often, and I, I, I haven't done it this year, but I'll probably do it for Christmas. I love, I have an awesome smoked turkey breast recipe. And it's, uh, so I'll have to, if you, even though you might not like turkey, it is couscous and basil and lemon stuffed smoked turkey breast. And it's really good. So. Oh man, that does sound good. I'm hungry. Thanks yeah. a lot. Thanks a lot, Nate. <laughs> yeah. Actually it's couscous and pesto and fresh herbs and lemon s- stuffed and smoked turkey breast. So, oh my uh, I'll, uh, I'll try to save you some. So. <laughs> Uh, and anything else before we sign off here other than uh, let's let's get one back on Phoenix? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. One thing. I am. Uh, I'm actually going to the game tomorrow. Uh, nice. Wednesday, so hopefully they do get their revenge because I am currently uh, 2-0 and as a go. Ooh, wow. You like bringing it. Dang, that would be a huge win. I mean, if they got the win, win tomorrow, wow. Are, that would is be a uh, Phoenix still streaking? Yeah, they, I mean, yeah. they won six in a row, I think. Yeah. They're, okay. they're, uh, last time I checked their net rating, I think they're a top five defense and top five offense. So they're they're looking like championship contenders this year. 
Yeah, and I didn't. I thought they would have a bit of a hangover, but I also think they have the Agreed. best. Yeah. I think they have the best coach in the NBA right now. And you, you've been on. You've been on the. Uh, you've been I've been on, on the Monty, Monty Williams, Williams trains, agenda. Yeah, trained since he was in New Orleans and was the dumbest firing I can remember in NBA history. So. <laughs> they haven't recovered since, have they? No, no, and. The funny thing is, is the team they lost to that everybody thought it was a, a travesty to lose to was a Golden State team that won oh, right. four, four straight <laughs> championships. So. Hey, and now, uh, and also, I say uh, Anthony Davis is kind of getting exposed. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the other question. If things keep kind of going downhill in L.A., do you think there's rumblings of maybe trading LeBron? And oh, I'm not saying definitely. to the Cavs. I, actually, I think a team that would make a ton of sense for trading LeBron would be the Nuggets. Oh, they would never go there. I think he would go to Golden State, though. No, I don't think LeBron would go to Golden State. No way. He's he's friends with all them. Uh, I think that would. I think his reputation would take a hit. Now, the place I do think he would go is New York. Oh, I think New yeah, York would yeah. be a place he would probably go in a, a heartbeat. If that opportunity became available, so what about you, Eli? You think LeBron? Any chance LeBron is traded this season? I don't think so. (laughs) I love, I love it, Nate. You full of crap. (laughs) (laughs) I think Westbrook might get traded. Uh, Well, it it is a tradition like no other. (laughs) (laughs) Totally right. I'm really going on a limb since, you know, he's only gotten traded three times in three years now. So uh, Hasn't it been four times in three years? <laughs> it's crazy. Maybe it's not. Crazy. I'm not sure. I, I was Thunder, told it was an untradeable Rockets, contract. Wizards, yeah. And now, yeah, it has been four times. And now Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it has been another episode of Cavs, the podcast. And as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. There's a fire. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.